What follows is a reading from Ephesians 1 verse 2 and 3 from the Amplified Bible. May grace which is God's unmerited favor and spiritual peace which means peace with God and harmony, unity, and undisturbedness, be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. May blessing, praise, laudation, and eulogy, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual, given by the Holy Spirit blessing in the heavenly realm. According to the text in the mentioned translation grace that is defined as unmerited favor will sit very well with a person that has made endless attempts to live a holy life and failed. This is not only true for the weary seeker of righteousness as the basis for his assurance to go to heaven but also for those that seemingly are not interested in God at all. I can see how grace, defined as unmerited favor, would appeal to a person that desires to be holy but knows that the bar for holy living is so high that they would not dare to attempt to live holy, knowing that failure is imminent. Most people that have a life born from endless attempts to satisfy God through right living that only ends up in failure, naturally welcome any good that is undeserved. To most, unmerited favor, love that is undeserved, undeserved kindness instead of animosity, hope instead of deserved destruction or, let us say, a second chance that is undeserved, comes as a welcome relief, as living water to a thirsty soul that ran out of hope for survival. Who can reject unmerited favor should you think there is no merit in God giving you favor? Unmerited can be described as undeserved, undue, unfair, unjust, unjustified, unwarranted, incoherent, incorrect, unconnected, irrelevant, improper, inapplicable, inappropriate, indefensible, unjustifiable, unreasonable, unsuitable, biased, inequitable, partial, unequal, arbitrary, and even unlawful. Should we go a bit deeper and have a look at the word favor, we see that it can also be described as an act of kind assistance or a feeling of great approval and liking. It can also be described as an acceptance of something as satisfactory or an attitude that always favors one way of feeling or acting especially without considering any other possibilities. In today's message Bertie will be teaching on grace, not as unmerited favor but rather as deserved, due, fair, just, justified, warranted, coherent, correct, relevant, proper, applicable, appropriate, defensible, justifiable, reasonable, suitable and lawful favor that is bestowed on us from a loving father that finds ample merit in bringing his children into what he always had in mind for them. You are invited to sit back and experience how the love and kindness of God opens your being to the deep, everlasting, satisfying influence of God through Jesus Christ. Grace which is his influence through his kindness will leave you flooded with true understanding of his life lived to you and also in you, resulting in peace that flows over into new creation actions in you. Let us begin. Eliana and I are back from Zambia and I'm excited to bring you a message again right here from the studio of Dynamic Love Ministries, a message on the grace of God, the uh, merited favor that God has shown us based on the heart that he has for his own people and we being his own. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, in the introduction, you heard that many people would define unmerited favor as a suitable definition for the grace of God, which is understandable because most of the world lives in their understanding towards God from the foundation that there is a law that God wants man to obey 
And should you not obey that law and God is good to you, there's no merit in that. Although it is unfair, although it is unjust, although it's unjustifiable, although it is not due, uh, it is still given. And that is such good news for most people, or basically for all people, who would think that God relates to man through a legalistic system where it is all about our works and not about him just giving us life. Glory to God. Now, we're going to look at... Uh, who God is, who we are, what our relationship is to God, what grace is, and we're going to define as if grace is unmerited favor. And I'm going to explain to you how grace can be seen as unmerited favor, but that there is a healthier, better understanding of what grace is that will get your heart to settle and be sure about your relationship with God and the future that he has for you. Glory to God. Now, before we get into our message, I would like to just thank everybody that has traveled with us just by, I mean, it was just Eliana and I traveling, but traveled with us digitally following what we have done. People that have supported the ministry and what we've done there. People that has prayed for us. Thank you so much. Uh, it's wonderful to know that there was a family of people that were willing to see what the mission station is about, the preaching that we do there, and people that were truly happy to see that uh, people that are living in the Africa bush that don't have access to internet the way we, we have can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I just want to uh, maybe push this point a little bit. When you get out into uh, into the African bush, rural areas. You can drive. I mean, I can drive for hours and not have internet signal. There's no cell phone reception. Uh, they, they are, you, you can drive for hours and there's no electricity. So how would people go on to Facebook and watch a message and get informed on the good news of Jesus Christ. No, it, it, there is not such a thing. Somebody has to go and just go and tell them what the Holy Spirit is already telling them in their heart, which God has been speaking to the hearts of people from uh, the day they were conceived. So that uh, a yes, the yes that is already in their heart can they can come into agreement with what they hear and see the fruit of the gospel uh, coming forth in their lives. And they can also hear what it is not to live in fear, why there is a voice that tells them you don't have to fear, how it works, believe upon Jesus, have the Holy Spirit poured out in their lives powerfully, and live from the victory that all of us are living in. So uh, I want to thank everybody that has traveled with us, everybody that has uh, given towards this, make it possible that we can build the mission station, preach the gospel, uh, put in the fuel in the vehicle, and all of those kind of things. Thank you so much for sponsoring this ministry and having a heart for the kingdom of God as pertaining to uh, rural areas in Africa. I get it that all people, that it's not your cup of tea and that you basically would rather sponsor something locally and uh, glory to God for that and let us do whatever the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts to do. But I also want to thank God for your obedience and 
in, in traveling with us and having a heart, encouraging us. All the messages that we've received, even private messages, Bertie, uh, you know, we are with you. It's good to see what's going on. It's good to see that things are getting done. It's good to see uh, the love of God, you know, that is flowing towards those people and to see how lives are being changed. Uh, it's just wonderful to have a team like that. And I would like for those of you that feel an unction in your heart to get ready, start to communicate with us if you ever want to go on one of those trips. We want to start with trips to Zambia as soon as possible. It's not something we want to just do in the future. We're not going to wait until everything is built before we start to take teams and reach out and whatever. No, uh, we're going to just do it and as we reach out and as we train people we will also build that is what it would have been wonderful just to finish everything off and um and just get going but we cannot wait for that we will just continue and uh preach and build and do whatever we need to do there people need to hear the good news in that area and then i also want to just say dynamic, dynamic love ministries and what god has put in my heart is not only focused on zambia and that area that is just a part of it we definitely will be traveling to the united states we're just now going to brazil on thursday Lena and i we're flying to brazil on thursday we're going to be preaching at a bible school there now um we will be traveling to other first world countries and other countries in the world as the lord lays upon our heart we will do local work as well sharing the gospel just here in malmesbury that is what god has put in our hearts our lives is there for the spreading of the gospel be it internet, television, outreaches into the rural areas, doesn't matter. It is, we're just saying, God, here we are. You've put it in our hearts. Your grace brings it forth. And let us, let us um, labor by the grace of God and bring this gospel to people all over the world. Now, let's get into the message that I have today. And we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and it is from verse, I think we can just read from verse 1. It says here, Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man... Welcome sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you have a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So when we look at grace and we ask ourselves the question, is grace unmerited? I think it is healthy to always measure if something is true by what I call family logic. Does the doctrine that we are, or the definition that we have, line up with what would be logically true between a loving father and his children? Now, I want to say that the traditional definition that we've had on grace, and I'm uh, 
as unmerited favor. I'm going to just read the definition of unmerited here. It's a lot of words, but I want you to just hear what it says. And then ask yourself the question, if you think, given to a healthy family relationship, wherein a father is merciful or gracious to his child, if this applies. Unmerited can be described as undeserved, undue, unfair, unjust, unjustified, unwarranted. Now, before we read further, imagine your child is, uh, has been disobedient. You've asked him to do something and he didn't do it. Or your child gets lost to give a better example of this, of what's true between humanity and God. Imagine somebody comes and deceives your child, misleads your child to go into disobedience. And as he, this person that can only be described as a snake comes and gives the poison of lies to your child at school and all of a sudden your child now gives in and he is disobedient even if you've warned the child he is disobedient all of a sudden all of a sudden he finds himself kidnapped and gone and now decide i'm going to look for my child is you looking for your child giving everything up i mean not going to work helping your child now looking for your child is that undeserved favor is that undue unfair unjust unjustified unwarranted incoherent is that incoherent is it incorrect is it unconnected is it irrelevant i mean it's not relevant I mean, it's irrelevant no absolutely it's not irrelevant it's very relevant is it improper inapplicable, inappropriate, indefensible, unjustifiable, unreasonable, unsuitable, biased, inequitable, partial, unequal, arbitrary, or even unlawful. Man, man. <laughs> to say, well, you know, it's actually unlawful for me to go and help my child that got kidnapped and that is lost, or my child that was disobedient and now is bearing the consequences of that. It's unlawful for me to help him. Why would it be unlawful? Why would it be arbitrary? Why would it be unequal? Why would it be inappropriate, inapplicable, irrelevant, unconnected, in? Uh, incorrect, unwarranted, incoherent. Why would it be all those things? The only way where it could ever be those things is, is if the foundation from where you have your relationship with your child is basically a cold-hearted, written-in-stone, lifeless and, 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 and this is not even describing the law of God because there is life in the law of God and we can talk about that. But it would be almost like a communist law dictatorship uh, control freak system whereby you define things because when your child is lost, it is always due 
it's always deserved, it's always fair, it's always just, it can always be justified, it's always uh, warranted, it's always coherent, it's always correct, it's always connected, relevant, proper, applicable, defensible, justifiable, reasonable, suitable. It is always impartial. It is always uh, it is always lawful. That is what it is to go and save that child. Now, the problem that we have is that the most of the world has received a message wherein they relate to God from this very cold system, wherein God is a lawgiver, where he's somebody that is so holy and so righteous that he looks at every work you've done, and based on the works you've done, there is no merit wherein he could love you. He was supposed to have murdered you. He was supposed to have killed you. He was was supposed to have destroyed you. And because of his, uh, what would be called here, biased, or uh, what would be called here is uh, unsuitable, inappropriate, inapplicable, unjustifiable, unreasonable, unconnected, irrelevant, improper, incoherent, unwarranted action, he then now saves you. And you can just be grateful that he saved you because you are basically this bad person that deserves death from God and he now decided not to do it. Now I want to tell you, that gives a bitter taste in the mouth. And that is what happens to the subconscious mind of a lot of people when you hear this. I think that is what what a lot of the atheists have a big problem with. But should you be a person, and I've also put it in the introduction there, that uh, to most unmerited favor, love that is undeserved uh, or unkind, uh, instead of, excuse me, Let me read again. To most undeserved favor, love that is undeserved, undeserved kindness instead of animosity, hope instead of deserved destruction, or let us say a second chance that is undeserved comes as a welcome relief as living water to a thirsty soul that ran out of hope for survival. So if you think that God is a legalistic God, the traditional definition of grace would be very good. And there are many people that preach that traditional message, and I would say I'm not going to try and stop them to preach that because there are people that are completely legalistic in the law that will at least get them to a place where they would come closer to God. But once people have come closer to God, once people have accepted that God is a God of love, we can redefine and we can go and look at what grace truly is and our understanding can broaden and we can look at the love that God has for us. Now, I want to go on and uh, just read the, 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 the parable of the lost son. Before I get to that, I just want to ask you this. If you lose just one of your sheep, let's say, there's a barrier, there's, there's a gate, and there is a fence, and the sheep is supposed to be inside that 
parameter and that sheep is disobedient and doesn't listen and jumps the fence or uh, jumps through the fence uh, or we can even say somebody comes and opens the gate you know an enemy comes opens the gate and one of the sheep gets lost would there be any merit in going after that sheep or would we say no that's unmerited no that's unmerited there's no reason no it is your sheep it's part of what you own it's part of yours and just the fact that you are the owner of that sheep gives enough merit there's a lot of merit in f- uh, uh, going and looking off that sheep it makes me think of the uh, one day when I ministered about the woman that came to Jesus, the Seraphonician woman, the Greek woman, came coming to Jesus, saying to her, can you heal my daughter? Jesus said, no, uh, I cannot basically heal your daughter. Well, he didn't say no. He said, well, uh, it's not right to take the food that belongs to the Jews and give it to the dogs. Then she said this, but I'm your dog. I'm your dog. So based on the system of are you a Jew, are you uh, of the right uh, uh, people group, there's not merit in giving this. But uh, the woman said to Jesus, but I belong to you. I'm yours. That gives merit. There's enough merit. Because if you, and this is what the woman said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that falls from the master's table. So if, if I am according to the legalistic system, a dog, then let me just say, whose dog am I? And she comes and brings a completely different system, which was foreign to the Jewish people of that time, to say, well, just because I belong to you, doesn't matter if I am even by the legalistic system judged as a dog. It doesn't matter. I'm not judged by that. I'm judged by whose I am. And I think that is what we need to look at when we think of the grace of God. The grace of God is not something that starts in unhappiness because of a transgression. The grace of God is what is inside the heart of God as a gift towards man from before the world began, from before man could ever have sinned. Now, I want to read the definition of grace here. Grace comes from a word. We know the the word charis or, or charis. I don't know if there was the. I, I'm not a Greek speaking, but it says your kh is how you pronounce it. Charis uh, me, comes from a word Cairo, uh, which means to be full of cheer, to be happy. I want to look it up in the Thayer definition. means to rejoice, to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly, to be well, to thrive. Isn't that beautiful? So grace always starts, it derives from rejoicing, being glad, to rejoice exceedingly. So it doesn't come from sadness. Oh God, oh yeah, they've, they've disobeyed me again, but let me just now be good to them. Now that is not how it works. Grace is born from a heart that is happy. Grace is born from a heart that rejoices. From happiness and rejoicing, we find an overflow of life 
being extended towards somebody to bring into what was always the dream and always the purpose. That is grace. Grace is not something that is born once people sin. It's as if God was never a gracious God or God never had grace or grace was never exercised prior to man sinning. No. Grace is by which that which God always decided that he would give life unto man. When God took the dust of the earth and he blew the breath of life into that dust, that is the grace of God. That is the influential power of God by which God brings life forth. He had that on dust. God was gracious to dust. Dust didn't sin. You know, if you just think of it in a, in a way um, from physical creation, if you would take sand and you would make something from it, that which is made from it, the life that comes forth from it, if you take a, just clay and you form a cup, the life of being a cup that comes forth in that clay does not come, uh, did not come forth by uh, me, the, me who created that or the creator or the artist or whoever makes the cup or the work of art because it is unmerited favor because of a legalistic system. No, it is a divine or an artistic influence that is exercised on that clay and then brings forth uh, what was dreamt in, in that. And that is what grace basically is. Grace is the joy from where God decides to move and act and give and be good and share and bring forth. That is what grace is. It started in grace and now we are at a place where we find that even when man has sinned, that God's grace can reach there and make new and bring forth life. Now, we can still say that is undeserved uh, because there's nothing that we've done to deserve this. Well, I can say this. It's never been uh, in God's mind that we have to do anything in order to deserve anything. What did dust do in order to deserve to have uh, God breathe life into it? Absolutely nothing. Never was there a requirement that the dust had to do anything. That's why it is uh, basically a frivolous definition uh, when we come to the depth of what grace truly is. Grace is simply the power by which God exerts his holy influence on people in stepping down to where people are and lifting them up. We so much want to define that as, well, undeserved because I didn't do anything. Yes, according to the law, you didn't have to do anything, but it has never been that way. God had a dream, and in order for that dream to come forth, he had to act on that dream, and that was therefore deserved. It is deserved. If God had a dream and a passion in his heart, it's like, let's use, uh, if, if you have got a dream to uh, start a certain business, that there's a dream inside your heart. Is it deserved or undeserved to go and act out what you feel in your heart? 
obviously it is deserved. Obviously it is supposed to be uh, the way it, that action is justified. It's fair. It's due. You can say, but this is due. I, I, I'm supposed to do this. This is a dream in my heart. If you want to uh, uh, build a house in Zambia, is it unfair to go and build that house? Is it unjustified to go and build that house? Should God have brought forth a dream in the heart? Obviously, it is not unfair, unjustified, unwarranted, incoherent, incorrect, unconnected, irrelevant, improper, inapplicable, indefensible, unjustifiable, unreasonable. No, it is absolutely reasonable. It's justifiable. You can justify it. Do you think that God uh, saving his people is unjustified? No, it's absolutely justified. Why? Because he's our father. He had a vision for us. He, he had a dream of giving us life. He has a kingdom. We belong to him and we are his and they are and, and we are lost. Should it, is there any justice in God uh, coming after his lost sheep and saving them? Obviously. Why? Because he is a loving father. Now, when we read the parable of the uh, prodigal son, or the lost son, we see something very interesting here. I'm going to read it. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. So, okay. The property was divided between the two sons. The one said, I want my part of the estate. So if the property was divided between the two of them, where is the father living? The father is living with the older brother. Okay, now, not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That's not a good thing to do. After he had spent everything there, he was, uh, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and to, uh, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs, which was a very difficult thing for the Jews to do. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, who no one gave to him. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So we can see here that the prodigal son had one thing in mind. Well, he looked at what was going on at home and he had his eyes fixed on the servants and he said, well, the servants live a good life. Let me be a servant. I just want to be a servant because then at least if I'm a servant, I'm going to live better than what I'm living here just on my own. If I'm just living under the law that the servants have, I'm not living as a son, I'm living as a servant because as a son I don't qualify I've I've not lived I've, I've squandered what was given to me for free I've squandered my sonship I've ended that uh, 
I'm not a son anymore. I'm not worthy to be a son. You can immediately see here that he lives on a foundation of is he worthy to be a son or not a son based on his works. And with that mentality, he now wants to amplify that and say, I'm willing to have this enforced and let me go back home and live as a servant at home. Now, before we get to what the father did, and we all know that, um, we're just going to quickly jump to verse 20, 25. This is now after the prodigal came home or the son that, son that was lost. We find that the father did not act according to the law that there was in the heart of the son. Uh, the father did not think of this is undeserved to slaughter the fatted calf. Let me let us go back and read that. Let's not try to save time here. Let us read it. It says here in verse uh, 19. <clears throat> but, uh, no, sorry, let's read from verse 17. When he has come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, uh, even today, for an older man to run, it's kind of a, it's like if somebody, I think if I'm there in Kalabu and we're running our building project and I run from the one place to the other place and I see people running, older men running, you kind of think, can he not plan properly? Why is he running? Is he not in control of his day? You know, why is he running? Doesn't he have someone to send? You know, why would he run? Uh, what's wrong? He's not supposed to be running around like somebody that's not in control, not knowing what's going on. And even back in those days, it was not the custom for old men to run around. It's like you plan your day and you do your things and, and whatever you had to do, you had to do. But here, the father comes running to the son. Now listen, the father saw the son. He saw him afar off. So he's really looking out for him like all of we know. And he started running towards the sun. And then he started to kiss the sun. This was prior to the sun saying anything. Now, we can see that the father was dealing with the sun based on what is logically true, what is understandable, what would be true between a father and a son, a healthy father-son relationship. Let me tell you this, if my son decides not to be at my house and he leaves my house and he goes away and I know by his own desire and his own will he's went and joined himself to what I would say would not be appropriate, which would not be good as pertaining to what can give life to my son and peace and joy. If I hear that he's coming back, to my house. The way I will treat him would definitely not be based on the law. 
when I see him come, when I just see him walk closer to my house, it might be that he's, that he's coming, that he was just thinking that he's coming to collect one thing that he forgot. I would run towards him. I would grab him and I would actually be nervous in the hope that he would accept me and that he would want a restoration of the relationship because I'm a loving father. How much more God? How can uh, we even define that when the father ran towards the son and kissed him, that that is undeserved? No, it is normal. It's how it is supposed to be between a father and a son, should the father be a good father. Now, the son continued and he said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, so can you see that the father interrupted him? He said, if you go and read from verse 17, it says here, but when he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Now listen to what he says his plan is. He will tell the father, I'm no longer to be called your son. And then he would continue to say, make me like one of your hired servants. Now when we read here, verse 21, it says, he said to the father, I'm no longer to be called your son. And then there's a full stop. He didn't have time to finish his sentence, which would be, make me like one of your hired servants. The, uh, Luke, it, Jesus basically just explained, and Luke jotted this down this way. And immediately the father didn't listen any further, but started to order the servants around. It says the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, quick. Bring the best robe. That means that in the eyes of the father, this son never became a servant. He was always a father, even if the son decided that he's not worthy to be a son based on his actions, and he became legalistic in his mind. The father still saw a lot of merit in showing him favor. The word favor is described as an act of kind assistance or a feeling of great approval and liking. It's also described, it can also be described as an acceptance of something as satisfactory or an attitude that always favors one way of feeling or acting, especially without considering any other possibilities. So when God is God's grace, if God's grace is unmerited favor, it basically says that there's no merit in God being kind to us or feeling any liking towards us. There's no merit in God uh, being satisfied with us in any form or way, or uh, there is no merit in God having an attitude that always favors one way of feeling or acting, especially without considering any other possibilities. I want to tell you, when God has got 
favor. It means that he considers one way of acting towards us without considering any other possibility. There's no possibility in the mind of God to deal or act to you based on what you must do for him. He will always deal with you as what he dealt with the prodigal here, which basically refers to the Gentiles. He would run to them when they come with any other possibility, which is, can I uh, be your hired servant? Then he, 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 there's no consideration of any other possibility. That is what favor means. Favor means it can also be described as an acceptance of something as satisfactory. So he accepts that you satisfy me. How? By just simply being his part of his creation, that he made you as his son, being his son and him being your father, or having an attitude that always favors one way of feeling or acting, especially without considering. God has got an attitude that always favors one way of feeling or acting. How what does God favor? He favors to be your father. He favors to deal with you as a son. He favors to be the source of life for you. And is there merit in that? Absolutely. Based on what? Based on the original plan that God had. Based on what is going on in the heart of God. Based on how he loves you based on who you are and what his dream is. Not based on works, but works has never been an action or a system by which God will uh, decide if there is merit. No, he favors one way of feeling or acting without ever considering any other possibilities. There's no possibility in the heart of God that... Man could ever stand before God by his own works. God even said, if you want to stand by your own works, the end of that is death. I'm not considering it even. So why now would God, uh, if we want to live by our own works, consider works as a system by which he would bring forth um, salvation? Like a penalty substitution atonement system where it's based on your works where God had to punish you. Now he doesn't punish you. No. The grace that God has towards you, the mercy that God has towards you, the favor that God has towards you is born from the humbleness inside his heart to bend down to where you are to go and bring you to the place where, which is always dreamt for you. Now, let's continue. Okay, so the father never considered the way of the prodigal to say, well, make, your, make a hired... He interrupted him. Not a hired servant. Interrupted him. After the interruption, he continued with the way that he favored. You're my son. Listen to what he says. Quick, he says to the... He says, the father said to the servants, Quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine 
was dead and is alive again. That means he's always been a son. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, was, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. So can you see that the father, as the, 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 the prodigal came back, he went out and met him there. And here he also went out and met this other the, the older brother. The older brother and the other uh, prodigal were equally lost. He says, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet never gave you me any young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't even call him a brother, the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Can you see uh, the legalistic way wherein the older brother would have defined the action of the father? The older brother would have said, this is undeserved, undue, unfair, unjust, unjustified, unwarranted, incoherent, incorrect, Unconnected, irrelevant, improper, inapplicable. Making the father guilty of, of being unfair, unjust. So if you say, say it's unjust, what is your justice system? It obviously works. I've worked for a goat. It was not the foundation of family. And as we are today celebrating Father's Day, we are not just celebrating God as our Father, but we're also celebrating the fact that we are part of a family, the God family. And the logic that is inside the family, which is uh, based on father-son, healthy father-son relationship, and what is logically logical and true there, that it is what we are part of and the system by which we live and wherein we are formed by God. We don't live like the older brother. The, older, the difference between the older brother and the younger brother is this. The younger brother took what was his and he squandered it and then later decided to become a servant. But the older brother was always a slave. Was always a slave. And he came and he found the father guilty. He found the father was one that is, that is uh, having actions that's undeserved, undue, unfair, unjust, unjustifiable, or even unlawful, arbitrary, unequal, partial, biased. That is what he found. Listen to what he says here. He says, but he answered the father, look, all these years have I been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. Listen to what the father says. But when the son, but, excuse me, what the father says is, my son, do you see that he doesn't deal with him based on the works as well? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
In other words, whatever you thought is mine is actually yours because in the beginning the, the, the inheritance was divided. The younger brother squandered it and where was the father living? He was now living with the older brother. But we had to celebrate. So if he said we had to celebrate, is there merit? Is that merited or unmerited? No, if you have to do something, it's merited. So it is absolutely, it is absolutely deserved, due, fair, just, justified, coherent, correct to celebrate because the son that was lost has come home. He's got a home. It's right for the son to be at home. It's right for the son to have an inheritance. It's right for the son to share in the love of the father. He goes on verse 32. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Can you see the system by which God judges and looks at us. Now, this goes on into chapter 16 where he talks about the shrewd manager and then about the rich man and Lazarus. And I think we can continue to talk about that later on. I don't know when we're going to have time to do a Sunday service again. Maybe I record one tomorrow. We'll see if we have time and then uh, set it up for next Sunday. I want to encourage you. Whenever you think of God, think of him as a loving father. One who cares for you, one who loves you, in whose eyes there's a lot of merit to rejoice over your life, who will never see you as a slave, who will never just see you as a servant. The only way where we can define ourselves as servants of God is in connection with people that is being served. God comes and he serves people and if we are a servant of God we are the one sent by God to serve the people but as pertaining to God himself we're not the servant of God we are the children of God and the law by which God judges us if you want to call that a law is the principle of family the love in the heart of a father the very being of God towards us that's how God looks at us. Well, uh, thank you that I could serve you with this good news message. And I trust that you're going to enjoy the rest of Father's Day and know that God is a loving Father that always cares for you. And then to the fathers, fathers of children, fathers of businesses, uh, whatever father you are and whatever aspect that is, I want to say this to you. No God your Father and His love, for that will bring forth a way where you deal with people, where they can start to experience this love that God has for them as well. And that would father a way of living inside you that you could never have attained to by your own works. Remember, you are deeply loved by God. We'll chat tomorrow in our daily devotionals. God bless.